Welcome to the Thoracic Oncology Group of Australasia podcast series. My name is Lillian Lee and I am a board member and the current membership and advocacy chair. This TOGA podcast focuses on the challenges associated with long-term survivorship, especially in the context of lung cancer. The past decade has seen significant advances in the management of metastatic non-small cell lung cancer with the emergence of various targeted therapies, immunotherapy treatments and combination approaches. This has led to associated improvements in survival outcomes for patients. There's now a growing cohort of patients living with advanced non-small cell lung cancer who experience long periods of disease control while being on these treatments. Traditionally, survivorship referred to patients following curative treatment of early stage disease. But because of these new recent advancements that I've just described, there's a compelling need to begin addressing the issues faced by long-term metastatic disease survivors. In this podcast, we talk with Dr. Sarah Hanneman, the Lung Medical Oncology Fellow from Chris O'Brien Lifehouse, and Mary Duffy, a clinical nurse consultant from the Lung Cancer Service at Peter McCallum Cancer Centre about the issues patients face and how to support long-term survivors of lung cancer. Thank you to MSD for sponsoring this podcast. We recently published a paper in the Journal of Cancer Survivorship. It's called Living with and Beyond Metastatic Non-Small Cell Lung Cancer, the Survivorship Experience for People Treated with Immunotherapy or Targeted Therapy. Now, Sarah, what do you see as the key messages associated with this publication? Thanks very much, Lillian. Um, I guess, as you have alluded to, um, historically what we might have thought of as uh, survivorship or how we might have described a a, um, cancer survivor is really in the context of early stage disease where someone's had their curative treatment and then is, um, I guess, dealing with the um, issues faced um, after that period of time. But now, as you've alluded to, there are a number of tumour types, such as lung cancer, where people are surviving for longer periods of time and doing well on um, treatments. And although clinical trials take some quality of life data and think about toxicities um, during the trial period, Um, I guess we don't really know what the real life or lived experience is of patients with metastatic non-small cell lung cancer who are in this group of um, having long periods of durable control. And so I guess our, um, our thoughts were to think about this particular group of patients. So patients with non-small cell lung cancer with advanced disease who've had a period of at least six months of no progression of their disease and ask them what were the the main issues and and things that um, are of relevance to the lived experience in in that context. And so a collaborative study with a group of researchers from Peter McCallum Cancer Centre, RMIT University and Sydney University, um, we sought to interview 20 patients in this particular category. And they came up with a number of um, thoughts about this and we there were main themes that came out of that. So one was the experience of living on long-term immunotherapy and targeted therapy and what it's like to 
manage um, some of the persistent treatment toxicities and for others what it was like being a patient in this category when they may not have actually fit the traditional sick role. So the second theme related to psychological concerns such as um, what it's like to live with uncertainty regarding prognosis and how long patients were going to be on treatment and um, fear of cancer recurrence and anxiety around scans. The third theme was patients really desired assistance with practical issues such as um, the challenges of returning to work, what to do with their financial planning in the context of an uncertain prognosis um, and the challenges of being on clinical trials in the long term. And finally, I guess participants really desired specific information and nuanced information related to their uh, particular treatment paradigm, which is, is something I guess that we'll be talking about later in this podcast. Yeah, we certainly will. I think as a patient myself and a long-term survivor myself, all of those themes really resonate with me. And we will talk about them this experience once I had a couple of years ago when I was standing in a crowd and next to me happened to be a GP and I told him that I was living with lung cancer and that I was diagnosed several years before and he physically stepped away from me and uh, was very shocked that I was alive because he had no idea that metastatic lung cancer patients can live well. And so that, you know, shone a light on some of the experiences that I've heard from other people. And I could really appreciate some medical professionals might still uh, remember the days when metastatic lung cancer patients didn't survive for long and lived very poorly for a very short period of time after diagnosis. And I'm hoping that that's really changing now. And I'm hoping that this podcast will help uh, with that. Sarah, do you mind explaining some of the new data that is impacting long-term survival in metastatic lung cancer? Sure. Um, I guess as um, you had alluded to in your introduction, Lillian, whilst in the past, um, historically, the prognosis for patients with advanced or metastatic non-small cell lung cancer has been historically quite poor. In the last five to 10 years, with improvements in treatment, with immunotherapy-based approaches and uh, increased understanding of molecular subtypes of non-small cell lung cancer and really a, a slew of um, new targeted therapies as well as combination approaches, really the prognosis of, of many patients has, has remarkably changed. Um, and that changes the conversation, I guess, that we have as uh, medical teams with patients. But I guess just to put things into context, one example might be um, in the re recent data from first-line osimertinib for patients with EGFR mutations, the over median overall survival was 38.6 months. Similarly, patients with anaplastic lymphoma kinase alpha translocations who had First-line electinib had a five-year overall survival of 62.5%. And then patients with high PD-L1 tumours, greater than or equal to 50%, who received first-line pembrolizumab, five-year overall survival was 31.9%. In our particular study, out of interest, so we, out of the 20 patients, we looked at the time from the diagnosis of metastatic disease and the range of that was up to 107 months. So that's quite different, I guess, to what we were thinking about. 
a number of years ago. Wow. Which is a really encouraging situation. But I guess that then raises questions around, well, what are the the major issues facing patients we can label as long-term survivors of metastatic non-small cell lung cancer? Lillian, did you want to share in this vein? Mary, do you want to go first? Yeah, sure. I think in particular, I'm really interested to hear, Mary, your um, experience in relations to the physical and functional issues that long-term survivors face. Thanks, Sarah and Lillian. There's just that our reaction to the long-term survivor of patients with metastatic lung cancer is um, significant, isn't it? And the, the physical and the functional we see relate back to who the person is, what they want to do, and our assessments and our professional conversations with them are about what we have got that can help them maintain their identity as be it from the point of work, talking about any symptoms they had from their disease or the toxicities they've had from their cancer treatment. And I think often as a lung cancer nurse, our role is in talking about how they can continue to be the person they are. That hasn't changed. So, and the functional part of it is we talk a lot about wellness, which is just such a delight to talk about in the lung cancer metastatic disease arena for a start. And people often look at me very strangely at certain touch points throughout their life as we meet them. If they have some physical side effects, that's either mild or whatever, we grade it, but to them it's, a, it's an interference. It's working out who in our team has got the skill set to help them make that improved and what we can do to prevent it getting any worse. And I think the physical and the functional are, are managed in that way. And it's, it's always lovely to hear um, people tell you that they've gone back to work. They've overcome whatever physical and functional bothers that they had, being honest, and they're back being out with their uh, colleagues, being out with their peers. They maintain the Mary Smith and the metastatic lung cancer comes into, into the Mary Smith story. And um, one of the things I try and talk about the lung cancer and the treatment and the treatment, treatment center into their smallest room in their house, closing it there, closing the door on it, opening it up when they need to and peeping through it if they want to or just letting it overcome and overtake their life. I really love that analogy of that little room. I think, you know, having lived with lung cancer now for over six and a half years now, almost seven years, I've certainly, I can relate to that analogy. At the same time, I think the psychological impact is quite significant. I think once you're, you are living well and in, in the sense of physical and physically and functionally well, the issue that, that strikes most of us in that position the most is the psychological. And I think when Sarah talked about the themes of, um, you know, the fear of re recurrence, the anxiety, the, you know, that definitely resonates with me. And I think that's probably one of the, the biggest issues that we face as a long-term survivor, especially those of us who are on a long-term therapy like targeted therapy where daily you're taking a medication and there is no end to that unless you progress. And so every time you have scans, it's, it's a challenge that you don't really get used to, I guess. Yeah, I think um, 
I would love to hear, Mary, what do you see in the clinic that you're seeing more now than before? And when we talk about things like psychological challenges, how do you work with people from other disciplines, professions from other disciplines? And and also more generally, how do you work with the multidisciplinary team when dealing with issues that are faced by long-term survivors? That's a great question, Lillian. And I think to begin with, what I would do is ask the patient I'm having the conversation with what their priority is on a given day. Over time, you've built up a relationship so you know each other. If they're worried, anxious, scared, ask them. You can, I never like to assume what the scared part is about. And if it's a coming up, scan anxiety, cancer anniversaries, uh, there are numerous ones. So I think it's important that you get what they're worried about right and then check in to see if they've still got a, if it's uh, anxiety or worry fear anything existential I would check in that they've got a real ongoing relationship with a clinical psychologist in their community or in their cancer center very often of course they go hand in glove the psychological and the physical can interact together and um, many cancer centers and other centers in the lung cancer treatment arena have got access to really good occupational therapists, physiotherapists and exercise physiologists. They've got, as well as talking with clinical psychologists, or indeed if they need something further like psychiatry involvement to help them over an acute phase. But there's also nice things like art therapy, there's great terrific groups, there's music, and, and all of those things are things that people relate to when they're well. So it's just a reminder us that we are normalizing what they're feeling. The most important thing, I think, is empathetic humanity and human kindness. We don't prescribe that, but we actually deliver it, I hope, in all of our interactions. So when you ask me, Lillian, about what are the issues that we're starting to see in the clinic, I think it's just that empathy we sh- we're on compassion. I hope. Sarah, I'm very interested in hearing from you about the conversation that the medical oncologists who prescribe these treatments and the patients, as you alluded to earlier on, that has changed a lot. And what way has that evolved in your career as a medical oncologist? Thanks for the question, Mary. I guess I'm only fairly early on in my career, but I think even some, something that I've been reflecting on after uh, giving a talk to a group of lung cancer patients recently is the shift in the conversation from what it means to be a lung cancer survivor, in inverted commas, to what does it actually mean to be a lung cancer thriver? And should we even be using the term survivor when sometimes maybe that might not be the most helpful term? And how can we thinking about holistic healthy experience of the patient. In the clinic, often we are quite directed in our follow-up and thinking about what does the scan show, what are the medical aspects, what are the toxicities that we need to work on and and manage in terms of some of those ongoing targeted treatments like what Lillian was referring to earlier. But then I guess that's only a component of of the care. And I guess what you've both alluded to is really the the need for a multidisciplinary team approach within the hospital, but also within the community as well. And I guess the other thing I'd want to 
raised as well is really that GPs should feel empowered to be able to engage with patients in some of these issues as well. Can I ask you a question about GPs? Because I think that's a really interesting and very important topic. How do you think that GPs can be engaged to help with long-term lung cancer survivors, Sarah? Thanks for that question, Lillian. I guess it's really encouraging that there's a podcast like this covering a range of topics, which is available to anyone on the web, really to, I guess, be able to educate regarding improvements in in lung cancer therapy and, and all of the other issues surrounding that. Because depending on when people have trained, maybe their perspectives are of that, you know, historical prognosis of patients with metastatic non-small cell lung cancer, when, as we've discussed today, really the landscape has, has changed so much, which is so encouraging, but then raises further questions as to, to what holistic care looks like and, and certainly community engagement with that, including GPs, but other community health members is really important as well. I guess, I mean, there's so much to talk about on this topic and we've touched on, on various things and we could keep talking, I'm sure, forever, but we can't. So I just wanted to highlight, so back in 2019, in the New England Journal of Medicine, there was an editorial which stated, now's the time to study metastatic survivorship. Now's the time. And so to finish off, Mary and Lillian, if I had to limit you to one thing, one message that you could give to GPs or the general community in terms of moving forward, what would you have to say? Just one thing. <laughs> There's so many. I think, if, if you don't mind me starting, I love that you brought to the discussion the, the word thriver because it's something that I've heard from other people and it certainly resonates with me. And I, and I hope that GPs but also the general community will embrace that term and understand that we don't just want to survive lung cancer, we want to thrive while living with it. I was doing well on my targeted therapy and I wanted to join a wellness program and I approached the organisers because it was a program for survivors, for cancer survivors. And when they asked me whether I was still on treatment, I said, yes, I had been on the same treatment for several years and I didn't have any side effects. And they said to me that I didn't qualify as a, as a survivor because I was still on treatment. And I think I was quite heartbroken because I was on a, well, I still am on a treatment that had no definite end date. And so in my mind, my first thought was, will I never be a survivor because I'm on a targeted therapy? Things have changed now. I've heard that that program now accepts uh, people on targeted therapy into that program, but that really was very, a very interesting experience for me. And that means that if you're a researcher, bring on the research about how to help lung cancer patients live well, research supporting carers as well, caregivers, family members, and, and that whole piece about compassion that, that Mary mentioned. I think that's so important. And yeah, I hope that in five years' time that what we see is that the, the norm is that we treat lung cancer patients like they are thrivers. That's lovely, Lillian. And I think the thrive, the thrive is 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 the team, isn't it? And we 
I think we invite the thrivers out into the world we live in and we invite the GPs to find out as much as we can um, and to be involved. Um, and one thing is hard, isn't it? And I think getting all of what we've talked about or want to talk about from the fantastic research, doing some more improving, but actually getting it into the lives where people actually live. And I think you're right doing that GPs and into the communities. I think there's a whole lot of resources out in people's lives where they live, regardless of whether they're in a centre like Melbourne, Sydney, or in rural areas. And we can not just our lives in the in the excitement of the great research, which we are will continue to improve, but also of the people we care for, and they are our ambassadors. Wonderful. Thanks so much, Lillian. And thanks so much, Mary. This has been a great discussion. Thank you for listening to this podcast of the Thoracic Oncology Group of Australasia. Some of the issues that we discussed today regarding survivorship, if you would like more information, we will post some helpful resources available on the web from various groups conducting research in the area of cancer survivorship. This podcast will be available wherever you usually download your podcasts. Thank you.